0: Hello and welcome to 10 Minutes On, A Hopeful Manifesto for Poverty, a podcast from the Joint Public Issues team. My name is Hazel Lee. I'm one of the JPA interns and joining me today again is Paul Morrison, who is one of our policy advisors. Hi, Paul. Hello. And in anticipation of the next general election, political parties are planning their pledges for election manifestos. And the Joint Public Issues team has been thinking about what pledges we'd like to see. So this is the sixth and final episode of six special 10 minutes on podcasts offering our thoughts on what would make manifestos truly hopeful based around JPET's six hopes for society. We hope to inspire you to think about what your hopes for party manifestos might be. And perhaps you can write to your MP or a political party to suggest them. So with all that in mind, um, we're going to start with this episode by thinking about why one of our six hopes is for a world where the poorest and most marginalised are at the centre. So why, Paul, should this matter to Christians? What does what does that kind of phrase mean, and why should we care particularly? Well, I think
1: within political debate and actually within society in general, mm. the poorest and the people with least the people with least resources are often pushed to one side, and often politics is about where we will help the poorest. But the one people, the one group of people who aren't consulted, mm. are the poorest. So the history of social policy has been often well-intentioned policy being forced upon people who were never asked about it in in the first place and I think mm-hmm. one of the the biggest example at the moment is universal credit it was loved by all sorts of people by all sorts of policy experts and academics but as soon as it met the reality of low income families lives it failed yeah so that is why people who experience poverty should be at the centre.
0: Mm, mm, absolutely. And I think what's interesting is this, this issue is really kind of on the news and, and in, our, in all of our kind of consciousnesses at the moment, whatever our experience of, of poverty might be. So I wonder if you could just kind of lay, lay out the groundwork of what the problem is that we're facing and kind of how you would characterise what we're looking at in the country at the moment.
1: So I think there's a long-term problem. Mm. Which is be it's grown over the last decade. So poverty has increased steadily over the past decade. It, just before the pandemic, it was about 16.4 million. Those wow. numbers are very wobbly now, mm. but up, up about over a million over the decade. Mm. But the thing that really changed was that the depth of poverty. So at the beginning of the last decade, you have. You have some destitution, but there's no there's no systematic measure because we kind of understand where destitution comes from and there's interventions in place. Mm-hmm. By 2015, you get over a million. 2017, one and a half million. By, the, by just before the pandemic, you get two and a half million. Mm-hmm. And churches will have seen that in food banks. They'll have seen starting at 30,000 people going to food banks in 2010 to three million in the last numbers. So this depth of poverty where people genuinely, the basics of life are not available to large numbers of people for at least a portion of every year mm-hmm. is very new and very different and a creation actually of the, of the policies of the last decade.
0: Yeah, so it's this problem that is getting increasingly worse rather than we're seeing a huge amount of change in it. And I think the
1: cost of living crisis, which we've all heard mm-hmm. about, it's called that because actually people in the middle experience it and i think everybody feels a squeeze if Mm -hmm. you talk to people who experience poverty they think their cost of living crisis started in 2015 or 2014 that this is just a speeding up of a trajectory that that they have already been on Mm. so if we want to turn this round we need policies that address that long-term trend not just the cost of living crisis Mm -hmm. that the rest of us have just begun to notice
0: So if we kind of go into some of the ideas that you've come up with as kind of potential hopes for party manifestos, the the first two are kind of shaped around the benefit system. I'll just read them out and then we can talk more. Um, So the first one is that uh, the government ensures that the benefit system protects against destitution by implementing an essentials guarantee that prevents incomes falling below the level required to meet basic needs. And the second one is to re-establish the link between the support of the benefit system and the needs of each family by abolishing the two Child rule the household benefit cap and the housing benefit cap. So both of those are kind of centered around the benefit system and kind of really changing that from 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 a policy perspective. And why is that so important, Paul? Why do we want to see such a transformation in the benefit system?
1: When I talk to people about the benefit system who aren't you know who don't live it day to day or aren't I don't are non sort of policy people, they they assume. That the benefit levels are calculated using some formula that estimates or guesstimates what people need to live. Mm. They think that benefits are enough to live on, and in fact, many people think benefits are much too much to live on and really just disincentivize work. Mm. The reality is that in 1946, when it was first put in place, it was a re- there was a mild sort of attempt to do that calculation, recognising it was wrong. And Mm. since 1946, no one has attempted to do that calculation. They go up and down on the basis of political whim. And so if the particular group you're in is in favour, you get more benefits. So in 1991, 40% of pensioners lived in poverty. Mm. The pension was at record lows. And it became a national disgrace and we decided to put more money into pensions. Mm. And suddenly the least likely group in society to experience poverty are pensioners. Yeah. It's nothing to do with how much people have to live, it is to do with the political will. And what both of these what both of these asks are is actually to say we think everybody should have enough to live in dignity. That the mm. purpose of the welfare state, the purpose of the benefit system is to ensure that children grow up fed and have a good start, is to ensure that families do not go up to bed hungry and have a warm home in which to live. And if our society thinks it cannot afford that, then it has to look around itself and reassess its priorities. Because mm-hmm. that seems to me to be the absolute fundamental of a decent society. So there's a campaign called The Essentials Guarantee, which we're part of. Joseph voluntarytree Foundation and trust of trust are the sort of the the, the leaders of that campaign mm-hmm. but it puts forward how that can be done yeah and a system to, to do that the second point is about re-establishing the link and it actually just lists the three ways in the last 10 years where benefits have been deliberately unknowingly disconnected from families needs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the, the the most egregious is the two-child rule and it creates a About 300,000 children are put into poverty as a direct result of that rule, And it says that your third child doesn't count. Your third child doesn't get any extra money, so you feed it with whatever you had left over from your first two. The government's careful not to say it's to discourage poor people from having children because that's a bad look. Mm. But really, lots of people say that that's what it's about. What offends me so much is a friend of mine, Died. He had three kids. Mm -hmm. His family live with a two-child rule. Mm -hmm. He was working. He was doing everything that was meant to to happen. This tragedy hits their family. Mm -hmm. And the two-child rule says one of your children doesn't count. That is just morally repugnant Mm -hmm. and needs to stop. That's why that hope is in there.
0: The third suggestion is to provide additional grants and flexible fundraising powers which enable local authorities to provide community spaces and services that offer greater community for low-income families. And I think this might seem to some people like maybe a slightly off-the-cuff idea, but I wondered if you could just tell us why that might be a really important thing to see, Paul. If you sit
1: with people who are going through a period of poverty in their life or who have been in poverty for most of their lives one of the biggest damages that it does is your inability to be a part of a community, your inability to interact. Because frankly, if you if you have money, you go to Starbucks to meet your friends. Yeah. If you don't have money, you can't. Where do you go? Do you go to a library? There's not many of them anymore. Public spaces are increasingly commercialized, so you need to spend money to be in there. So if you don't have money, there is very few places you can interact with dignity and certainly not interact with people of different levels of income mm. with dignity. That has got considerably worse because the biggest cuts in the last 10 years were to local authority budgets. Yeah. So providing local authorities the power to either raise the money themselves or greater grants for them to mm. think about community and think about designing spaces where people on high incomes and low incomes can meet as equal people, where people on low incomes don't need more money to uh, have a decent life. Mm. That is part of creating a decent, coherent society. And so that's that's why it's in there. It's not addressing people's incomes, but it's addressing the quality of life which low incomes can get you.
0: And that's just as important as providing that income. It's providing that community and those spaces for people to thrive in. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Paul. I'm sure there's been people who are listening who are intrigued about kind of finding out more or, or learning more or getting involved in, in campaigns. So I just wondered if there's any spaces for people to go that might be interested in learning more or discovering more about this particular issue. So
1: the essentials guarantee is uh, just Google it or Joseph Frenzy Foundation or Trussell and they've got lots of ways in which getting involved. There's stuff on the JPIT website as well about that. There's some really good, really good and thoughtful information from Poverty Truth Commissions published on the Poverty Truth Commission website about lived experience of poverty. And all of those things are really important if we are to do what our our, our aim is, which is to put the poorest and most marginalised at the centre. And often, once we've come up with these snazzy policy ideas, we forget that actually, it is about, it is about people going through this, yeah, and that that story and changing that story is really important.
0: Brilliant! Thanks so much, Paul, and thank you all for listening to this episode of Ten Minutes On. We hope you've enjoyed this series as we've dug deeper into our six hopes and how they could kind of figure in election manifestos in the next general election. So if you want to find out more from the Joint Public Issues team, you can go to our website at jpit.uk, that's jpit.uk, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it around. Thanks a lot.